Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage, connect and inspire missional people. Welcome back to the Venture 12 podcast, episode number 10 of season two we are on now and then I, I am joined today by Mark. Good to be here, thanks Chris. You're um, welcome. Um, and well done for that really confident welcome at the beginning. Thanks, yeah I thought I'd give it a bit of extra, what's the word? Zest. Say there? No, what's the word? Gump, gumption? Yeah. What's that word? I don't know. Listeners, tell us if gumption is a word and if so, what it means. I don't think it is. All right. Anyway. Anyway, uh, came in with something. Yeah. Um, and today we have got another really good interview. Yeah. Uh, we'll tell you a bit about it uh, soon, I guess. We won't jump straight in. We like to have a talk first usually, don't we? Yeah. You got any questions for me? Uh, you've put me on the spot there. What's your favourite animal? Oh, gosh. Oh, blue whale. Easy. Easy, yeah. Yeah, largest creature that's ever lived. Yeah. Uh, I've got one on my arm, actually. Yeah, you do. You've got quite a few tattoos of animals, haven't you? You've got... Yeah, I've got... What have you got? I've got a blue whale, a lion, three or four birds, I think. Have you? Yeah, I think so. I'm just having a look now. That might actually be all the animals, so it's not as many as I've promised. You've got... You've got a dove... Yeah, I've got a swallow, a dove, and... Uh, Why have you got a swallow? That's a great question. And not one that I've got an answer to, <laughs> I'm afraid. Uh, it was one of my early ones, actually. I was just experimenting. So I've got a few on my leg that I knew I could always hide with a sock yeah. around my ankle. And that was one of them. I was just testing out some different things before I built up the bravery to move to the arms. But just back up a bit. You went into a, yeah. a tattoo studio. I did, yeah. And you look through said, look through a book, and you chose a swallow. Yep, <laughs> that's that's amazing. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the thought that went into that one. Your arms are like a, a wildlife documentary. Yeah, my uh, arms are no, but they're all like it's got meaning, haven't they? Um, sim- or, or have yeah, they? I, I wouldn't say all, but majority of them have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people are getting a bit a better picture of you. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Do you remember we did that in the very, very first episode? Yeah, we did. We didn't really know what we were doing, and you asked me to describe how I look. Yeah. And I think I started by saying, picture this, listeners. Yeah, I do remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, how are you? I'm doing okay, thanks. Yeah, happy to uh, be into February. Yeah. January was tough, but February's been a great kind of change in rhythm it's getting lighter outside yeah. that means a lot when you're in the oh. north in Scandinavia in Gosh, Sweden that is a so, huge difference in the last two weeks just going downstairs and it not being pitch black yeah yeah it's been amazing so and you can feel it with people around like just yeah. there's a there's a different atmosphere people yeah. are more up for stuff yeah like what so, like getting out of their doors and mm. I don't know um, <laughs> I'm not able to substantiate that comment right. about people are up for stuff. No. All right. Uh, I might need to do a bit more research into that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Venture 12 podcast, we, I think we touched on it um, in the last episode or maybe two episodes ago, but we've got, it feels like we're entering into a really exciting season. Um, we've always had, or we think we've always had really good interviews and good guests and I mean we were talking about our tagline before weren't we like what's the podcast for yeah and uh, we listened to it again right at the start before the music comes in to engage inspire and connect missional people Um, and just looking at the coming season I just really hope and pray that that is a time where that uh, happens those three things to engage to inspire and to connect Um, who have we got coming on well uh, I think um, we've got We've got Greg Boyd coming on, uh, who is a pastor at Woodlands Hills Church, also um, author of many books, theologian. Um, uh, yeah, he'll come with a lot of energy and great perspectives on the kingdom of God. We've got Shane Claiborne, mm. who many people will know. Tracy Matthews, 
who uh, has got her own podcast, which is geared around like hearing God's voice and discerning God's leading in life. So we're really excited about that. And then Rich Robinson, who is uh, CEO of Catalyze Change, um, apostolic leader uh, and co-leader of uh, or co-founder of the a movement Leaders Collective, which is sparking and supporting and equipping apostolic movements and leaders. Uh, yeah, we, we've got a few others, but I think yeah. that's enough to, to yeah. keep people. Wait the appetite, uh, isn't it? the appetite. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you said like the catch for, uh, line for Venture Twelve, we, we talked about it earlier, didn't we? Like, we, we hope that it's inspiring. Yeah. Uh, we find what we're doing really enjoyable mm. uh, and engaging, but we were wondering about connecting. Yeah. Uh, we're not sure we're connecting with you. <laughs> yeah. Or, <laughs> or that, how we or do. That it's helping people connect with one another. Yeah. Um, so maybe we need to. Re- reflect on that a bit more we either need to change the tagline or be more intentional about finding opportunities for people to connect with one another yeah. through the podcast and do and the we conversations. do we need to connect with one another that's deep isn't it or what what's the to, to isolate yeah maybe that's a black and white way of looking at it. it's not helpful mm. but well i mean the other thing that we hope is being put to use is at the end we we do put out questions for you to connect with your own teams and and those kind of things so hopefully there is some connecting going on but um yeah i mean it's a bigger conversation isn't it big conversation yeah but if you've got any ideas <coughs> connect with us connect with us yeah reach out you yeah. can get in touch with us on the facebook page so if you've not already it's good to jump onto that yeah the Venture 12 podcast Facebook page yeah. um, and you can always message us directly there yeah. or put some chats or get some chats going yeah. on that page yeah. uh, absolutely and we'd love for you as well like while we're on to that social media to, to subscribe to the, the V12 podcast so you'll as soon as we drop a podcast you'll be you'll, you'll know about it and you'll be yeah. notified about it it's <clears throat> helpful for us anyway yeah so yeah well, Why don't you uh, tell us about today? Yeah, sure. So today um, we've invited a guy uh, called Tim Burr, who is based in Manchester at a church called Ivy Church. He's well known in the UK, I think. Um, and he's also uh, involved in New Thing Europe, which is about supporting um, and catalyzing church planting uh, in Europe. So connected with Dave Ferguson and, and the work they're doing in New Thing globally in the US so we invited Tim because their church has been transitioning into what maybe a lot of people are familiar with the language now like a microchurch model or mm. exploring what that journey looks like and in the Helsingborg we've been thinking a lot around that uh, and what that looks like for us to kind of migrate from a like a more centralised way of doing church where there's a few who do everything or there's one big community to what it might look like to kind of release and and explore that different paradigm of creating more missional communities mm. it's not been an easy journey for us and we're certainly in the midst of it and that's why we invited tim on because i think their journeys also come with joys and challenges yeah so well um should we move into it yeah stick around uh, afterwards for some reflection uh, and some questions but uh, in the meantime enjoy this really great interview uh, with mark and timber Well, welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, Tim Burr. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great, Mark. How are you doing, pal? I'm doing great. Really excited <laughs> for our conversation. Thanks for having uh, me. Today, yeah. Um, what we always ask before we kind of get into the, the subject is, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, what you're doing, what you're involved in, what you love? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, thanks so much, Mark, for having me. It's a privilege to be able to chat to you today and um, to talk to your listeners as well. Um, so I'm Tim. I live in Manchester in England and I'm married to Becky and we have a one-year-old son called Freddie and uh, he's amazing. And uh, uh, well, I, I'm a, I love cycling. I love getting out in the hills. We've got the Peak District, a half an hour cycle from here. Uh, which is absolutely fantastic, and uh, I 
I love cooking and eating. Man, this is starting to sound like a dating profile. <laughs> Go on, this is interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, well, just a bit of context. So I'm, I'm working for Ivy Church in Manchester, and I've been here uh, in Manchester for about uh, seven years. I moved up here from London uh, seven years ago to do the leadership year at Ivy Church. I also work, at the moment, working two days a week for a global church planting movement called New Thing and um, they exist to help catalyze movements of reproducing churches. And so uh, actually Ivy and New Thing have been a big part of my journey because when um, I grew up in a Christian family in Manchester, um, but when I went to uni, I fell away from faith uh, within a few months. Um, even though I was going to church, it was just one of those things that became you know less and less a priority when you get out the rhythm of it. And it was only years later that basically I used to go come to church when I was visiting my parents in Manchester for the weekend because it was easier than having the argument over Sunday dinner about why I wasn't going to church so I just went along to church and that was one Sunday eight years ago I had an encounter with God and surrendered my life to him and a month later I went for a coffee with Anthony who leads Ivy and I shared my story with him and he said oh yeah well you know we've just been connected to this global church planting movement called New Thing and we're looking to train the next generation of church planters what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I was like, what are you talking about? You're completely mad, you know, because it had been a month. I think I got baptized like the weekend before. But, we, you know, we got to know each other and built a relationship. And then a year later, that's what I did. I, I left my job in sales in London, moved back to Manchester, moved back in with mum and dad. And that was a brilliant and humbling experience, <laughs> moving back in with your parents in your mid-20s. Hallelujah. And uh, and that was great. And so, and, and the rest is kind of history. So, um after I joined the uh, the team, uh, uh, did the, the, the leadership year with Ivy. At the end of that year, one of the um, uh, one of the leaders of the churches was moving on um, to join a movement called No Place Left, and uh, and we felt God saying to me and the other lad Ollie, who was doing the residency with me, uh, that it, we were to take over the leading of this church, and so we did. And we did that for a, we were doing that for a few years. Um, and, and that was meeting on campus at Manchester University in one of their nightclubs there, uh, which was exciting and brilliant and obviously had its challenges too. Uh, and, and we had been doing that up until up until COVID. But then since COVID, things have changed quite a bit. So and I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto that. But that's kind of the little bit about me and kind of the journey. That's great. That's great. Well, before we get into our main subject about we're going to be looking about what it looks like, feels like to transition from a way of doing church uh, to perhaps more uh, movemental ways of seeing and, and uh, structuring and releasing uh, a church and, and people uh, to serve God on mission. Um, before we kind of get into that, uh, that journey and what that looks like in your context, um, I just want to ask, and we often ask this over the last year to people who've been on the Venture podcast, and we've been in a massive season of, well, upheaval on so many levels. Um, what kind of things have you guys been seeing and experiencing from, from your perspective in, in the UK and in Manchester and in Ivy Church and, and also through like New Thing as well? Yeah, that's a really big question, Mark. Um, I think... Uh, there's a few different things that are kind of noticed. One is that um, there's a sense of disenchantment with um, the growth church model and mega church, partly to do with the numerous recent major failures of kind of many of the heroes of that movement. Yeah. to be honest and and i i don't know if there's i, I i'm thinking amongst members of churches but i i feel a sense of i don't know almost maybe even a sense of betrayal mm -hmm. um uh towards that from leaders of churches in the uk and and i think more globally uh, more broadly in culture i i, I there's a growing sense of suspicion of people with significant influence and power if i use that word and um 
and particularly men. And there's obviously the question around accountability and all these kinds of things. So that's a wider social trend, yeah. um, but is not without its roots within the Western church. I think as well, there's, there's obviously any person who's been leading a church in the last two years or part of a church will have wrestled with the reality that lots of people aren't coming back having things gone online onto zoom or youtube or facebook that uh, you know whatever whatever way you adapted um in the last season you know there will be, be people that have kind of disengaged i think you know i alan hirsch talks about this season being an apocalyptic season i i couldn't agree more it's it, covid has caused problems but to be honest the first round of problems weren't caused by COVID. They were effectively revealed by COVID because it just accelerated what was already going to happen for better or for worse. And for some people who were on a trajectory away from church and it had actually been the a catalytic in their progress in faith, you know, so it's for every person, it's different at the same time. So there are people that aren't coming back at the same time. This is, I have never experienced a season where it is so easy to talk to people about faith, mm -hmm. prayer, Jesus, the gospel. People are more open than ever. I think because all of the things that we were had in our minds and hearts as being the things that life was all about have been shown to be fairly flimsy and unable to really help us navigate the difficulties of a pandemic. And so I think it has, is our helping people ask bigger questions and take a step back from the kind of routine of life. And um, and so there are, and there we're seeing people come and engage with faith and with church in ways that we haven't seen before. And I think at the same time as well, I think there's a broader sense that from those churches that are genuinely concerned about reaching people with the gospel, that there is a sense that maybe the old ways that we have been doing things aren't working. And, you know, I, I I don't know if this is biblically correct, which is a great way to start a sentence, isn't it? But, you know, I, the, the sense I have is for, for millennials and for Gen Zs, that in a sense, they're not a prodigal generation. And there are people that have had big evangelistic platforms in the UK and in the States in the past that, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, have been very effective because you're calling people back to something they already know because consciously or subconsciously they've walked away from it. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, they're prodigal generation because they have, they understand the language of the gospel. They, they're disenchanted. Maybe they've become like older brothers and there's a sense of uh, a jadedness with kind of like a faith by works thing, or there's the rebellious younger brother streak. And some of these evangelistic ministries were great at calling those people back to the heart of the Father. But we're talking about, you know, people who's now, whose parents have no Christian, no Christian uh, background and whose grandparents don't either. So you're starting again from scratch. So some of the old things that have borne fruit in previous generations are not bearing the same kind of fruit now. Right. And yet the, and so I think there's a recognition that just trying harder to do those things is, is not really working. And so there is, I think there's a significant recognition that we're gonna have to try to, we're gonna have to do things quite differently. I think one thing that's been really interesting is if you haven't read it, I can't recommend enough John Mark Comer's latest book, which is called Live No Lies. And he talks about in that, that actually broadly the church has gone from being in the majority to being in the minority. And actually the church used to be the place where you would go and seek out wisdom and, and were considered to be virtuous, good people and moral people. Whereas there's a, the wider shift is that now actually Christians, practicing Christians are very much in the minority and are actually considered to be lacking virtue and immoral because of their views traditional you know traditional conservative christian views and i'm sure there's a breadth of theology of people even listening to this but you know i'm talking sort of big themes so um there's all of these different 
things at play. Um, and I guess one of the, you know, in terms of being a part of Ivy and a part of new thing is that, you know, we, we're the big thing that, um, that we're about is, you know, new thing in particular is that the mission of new thing is to help catalyze new movements of reproducing churches that reproduce at every level. And, um, I have, I, you know, connecting regularly with leaders across Western Europe to, to talk about how we can help them and do that, whether they're leaders of churches or networks of churches or movements of churches. And I think that there is a, it's really interesting to see how the Western church has really struggled in so many ways in the last two years, but the Eastern and the Southern church has flourished beyond our wildest dreams in the last two years. I mean, talking to leaders that are in Africa have seen churches grow from, you know, there's a, there's a church in Kampala called Worship Harvest. And they've seen, they're seeing something like a thousand people come to Christ a week and they've grown from 5,000 to 40,000 in a year because of an, uh, an openness to the gospel and because they prepared to equip, they'd already equipped people to be disciples and make disciples. And so they were ready for it when it came, if that makes sense. And, you know, chatting to people like, uh, Josh Howard in in India with Central India Christian Mission, they you know they, they I think they've seen about five thousand or more new churches started in the last year, uh, you know because the pandemic's actually made it um, it's actually forced them to take the next step in decentralizing training and pushed it out. So there's this multi rapid multiplication that's happening in so many other parts of the world and i say all of that i say because i think that there's such an openness and a desire and an interest in movemental forms of church and discipleship that were maybe were was have been there for a long time within certain circles but the conversation is definitely opening up more broadly and in the last three years or so i've i've seen the language of things like micro church um explode like just everyone's talking about it mm. and and honestly eight two years ago when i was beginning to come across this these kinds of forms of movement and church multiplication on the micro level or the simple and small level i didn't know no one was having this conversation mm. and i there's you know one the guy that i would chat to certainly in the western context you know it would be someone like Rob Wegner over at Kansas City Underground, and they were in the early days of multiplying micro churches then, and you know, and but there was no one else talking about it. And now you can, there's conferences about micro churches, yeah. and everyone's talking about it in the in the kind of uh, traditional church as well. So there's all these different factors at play, and there's probably a whole load of other things too. But certainly, those are some things that yeah, I'm noticing really. at the moment. Really, really insightful. Really, really interesting uh, perspectives as well, and and good to kind of get the the global picture as well. Um, that's really encouraging to us as well. I think, like, just to kind of plunge into it, um, into your Ivy story, because yep. you've you've mentioned at the end the transitioning uh, from perhaps more decentralised models of church to more. Yep. I mean, the language you used as well already, micro church. Or, or, or forms of missional communities that can be led perhaps by ordinary people, that journey, that transition. Um, and from what our conversations that we've had, Ivy Church, from what I understand, has been taking a, a quite an interesting journey over the last 18 months or, or two years. Can you just tell us what that's been like, opportunities, the challenges of, of that, and just describe how it's, how it's gone, how it's going? Yeah, so well, I guess a, a little bit of context for us. So um, Anthony Delaney, who leads Ivy, um, you know, he's been part of New Thing and Exponential, which is a, a church multiplying and movement conference happens in the States. He's been part of that and um, was in, I think in 2014, 2015, uh, became effectively the... The, the director for Western Europe and the pioneering movement and multiplication with new thing in Western Europe more broadly. And as part of that, we'd um, at Ivy did a new thing journey called the Catalyst Community, which is like a three-year journey, which basically inspires you to dream big and think about movement and multiplication, what's possible, what God could do, 
and then develop simple systems to help you to get there. Okay, so that's like the big picture. And then um, for Ivy and then for us, my wife and I spent some time with a movement two years ago that have seen uh, about a thousand small uh, sort of, you could call them micro churches multiplied in the last 10 years. And we were, we were uh, one night while we were out in Zambia with them, I asked, I asked John, I said, what's your annual budget? And he told me, and I was honestly shocked because it wasn't very much. In fact, it, at that time, Ollie and I were leading this church in Manchester. We had um, three part-time staff and a church of about 100 and say seven or eight small groups. And the annual budget was exactly the same. And it was, it was horrifying. You know, one of those moments, Mark, where you wish you hadn't asked the question because you can't unhear the answer. Well, it was like one of those moments. So all of that to say that basically we got back from that trip, my wife and I, and we were just like, what could that look like here? Is there a different way of doing things? And so we were wrestling with that for the church that we were leading as part of the wider Ivy network. And then COVID comes along two, three months later, everything gets put on hold, everything gets centralized because we're just, trying to make it as simple as possible to equip people to be church in their homes. So we had like one message that went out across the whole of the wider church network, groups meeting during the week, which gave us after the initial like madness of the pastoral fallout of COVID, obviously had then begun to think, have more space to think about what happens when COVID's over and things go in inverted commas back to normal, which they never will. <laughs> there is no going back to normal because the world's changed, but anyway, so and so we were beginning to wrestle with what does that look like, and we at Ivy have uh, for year for three or four years had what we call the discipleship pathway, which is the journey. Think about the story of the prodigal son. What's the journey that someone someone goes on from being lost and alone in the world, or even in the house, all the way through to being found at home in the father's house? And we talk about these five D's, um, uh, which are the five sort of key steps. The first D is discover. How do we discover people far from God? Help them discover Jesus. Devote, sorry, deliver is the second, which is how do we help people to be born again and enter fullness of life in the kingdom of God? Devote is how do we help people become devoted followers of Jesus in community? Develop is how do we develop those disciples into leaders and deploys? How do we send them back into the world to help others find their way back to God? So that's our five. Those are the five Ds of our discipleship pathway. And so what as we've been wrestling with this as a team over the last couple of years about it was about a year ago we we got to a place where our kind of our stated intent really <clears throat> in this transition was to move away from being a site-based model to becoming a multiplying movement and the roles of site leader or campus pastors or whatever you want to you know whatever you call them in um uh in your language and where you are those got made redundant and we applied for new roles um for uh, aligned to the, each of those steps on the discipleship pathway. And so my job now is that I look after discover. So what are the things that we're doing as a church to help people, to discover people far from God and help them discover Jesus? But also, and this is really critically important, those roles are not uh, ministry roles in the sense that you're the one doing that ministry, but they're very much how we are equipping our people to be able to do these things. So these, this is the significant paradigm shift. You know, we'd still have Sunday gatherings, um, they look quite different to what they were before. They're, they're much simpler um, and, and more stripped back because the intent is that even the things that we organise centrally, we want to do in such a way as to be able to be replicated and multiplied by any member in the church using the content that we're putting out, the discussion questions, you know, whatever. And we can talk about that if that's helpful later. Um, and alongside that, uh, we've developed a couple of resources. One is that... Um, a course called the Discipleship Pathway course, which is equipping a person to be able to take someone else through that discipleship journey. So it's not just how does the staff team discover people far from God and help discover Jesus, but how do we equip all of our people to be able to do that, to lead them to faith in Christ, to disciple that person, to start a group, to train a leader? Because if we can, if all of our people are equipped to do all of that, then we'll see movement and multiplication, mm -hmm. right? So, so we've done that and we've been running that we developed that about 18 months, well, probably about 18 months ago. And we also started, um, we also ran a micro church training, which we've done one of those so far about a year ago. We're looking at doing that again. Mm. So we've got, you know, church happening online. We've got 
church happening in person uh, in the places, in different places, but the same, I guess, gathering people again and then also equipping people to be disciples and make disciples and uh, encouraging people to start micro churches that are up for that. So we're not, we're not just reorganizing people into micro churches. I think that was an initial fear that people had or simply saying that, um, uh, <clears throat> that all of us are, our, our small groups, cause we probably have 40 or 50 of those. <clears throat> well, we do have 40 or 50 of those in the church. There was a question as do we transition those to become micro churches? And we decided no, because actually, uh, well, for a number of reasons, but I guess that these are the sorts of things you try and experiment with, but we could see that that was not going to work because it's not the DNA that those groups have. And you're, you're, it's, it's not just a, it's a, a micro church is not just a small group. The danger with all of this, Mark, as you will well know, with anything around house churches, missional communities, micro churches, is that basically a normal, small, a small group meeting in the week just gets rebranded and then five years later rebranded again mm. as if that's going to be the thing that affects a cultural change it doesn't and mm. um, and i think that's why people get fed up with it because yeah. they're just there's the same thing with a different name and it's the new fad yeah. i think um so yeah so we're not just trying to like rebrand but find the people that are up for trying something different and new to reach the people that they know and love, whether it's neighbours or friends or family. So you're not transitioning existing groups uh, or small groups. What you're doing is training people and vision casting the possibility of a alternative way of doing church alongside most of what you're already doing. Yeah, uh, that's great. Okay. And what's been what's been like the major like. Um, the joys and the the challenges and the tension so far of of like vision casting this kind of paradigm, but also like bringing uh, bringing the practice out and, and what that looks like for people, the journey, the community. What what's been the joys and and the the pains, the challenges? How's it going, basically? <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? Well, <clears throat> what have been the joys? I think the the joys are that. <clears throat> what you discover is, as you start vision casting for this, is that there are people that already, whether they realise it or not, they've just been waiting for you to say that all along. Because there's, I think there's a there's a familiarity with the pastoral gifting. There's a familiarity with the teaching gifting. I think the last fifty years has, has given us a very comfortable understanding of the evangelistic gift. And I think, but I think in this new season that we're in in the Western Church, I think the gifts of the apostle and the, the prophet. Are, are stepping forth in a new way and i think that it's the there's so much dormant apostolic gifting in people and and then and and, and, and and just no understanding of what it is and what it looks like and it's even like um <clears throat> you know people that are actually apostolic get put in the evangelistic right bucket because they have that gospel passion but the thing that i found so hopeful i think it was neil cole's book in primal fire talks about that the difference between the evangelistic and apostolic is that the evangelist preaches the gospel to grow existing communities, the apostle preaches the gospel to form new communities. I found that a really helpful distinction. Anyway, so the reason I say that is that as you start casting an apostolic vision, it ignites the apostolic gift in people. And so you find it's not the whole church, but then the whole church has not got that primary apostolic gift, although we're all called, a mature person is able to operate apostolically, as we know. But so what for the joys are, is when you're having the conversations and you're prayerfully thinking, okay, who am I gonna to invite to come along to this pilot thing that we're just having a go with because we've never tried anything like this before. And you have the conversation that go, I would love to do that. I've been thinking, God, use me, and I don't know what to do. I just want God to use me. And then it's that, or you know, people have just had a vision for years to do something in their home and just it's never right. been told that they could yeah. or so they don't know how to. Would you say so? Your micro churches, or are they are they leading on the missional apostolic kind of edge? Is that that kind of? Is, would you say that's one of the organising kind of principles in the DNA of the micro church? Yeah, absolutely. I think that yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. The the mission is the is the 
um, very much the organizing principle of the micro churches. I think initially people thought that, and this has been a major, to be honest, this, it has been a point of misunderstanding. I think people initially thought that we weren't going to go back into the larger gatherings. And when I say larger, you know, UK context, we're talking anything from, say, I think one of the smaller churches is about 70 and all the way up to probably about 200 people. And they're, you know, across Ivy, there's five, there were five of those before COVID. I think people just thought that they were just going to be reorganized in some way into, um, uh, into, into house churches, basically. Um, and, you know, it's one of those funny things. As soon as you start communicating vision for something, people like it's almost like you let the cat you just let the rabbits out and they just go off and multiply in a thousand different directions and you know people fill in the gaps as you're trying to figure it out but anyway and um so no very much the the whole conversation around micro churches is that if it's for people who've got a vision to reach their neighborhood or their colleagues or their friends or family or whatever it is the people that god's put on your heart that we will equip you to start something well first on the most basic level to be a disciple that's making disciples and then and and then through the micro church training it's, it was you know that was very much a kind of a slightly higher level then of what's what's god's vision for your street or neighborhood yeah. and so they're founded well the the micro churches are the fruit of the mission they're yeah. not the mission yeah. does that make sense absolutely so, yeah yeah so um those have been born out of the churches that the micro churches that are running going now are you know the the two people a couple four people have, st have started meeting together to do something to reach their community you know and they've invited they've started meeting regularly they've connected with people through volunteering at a local food bank you know through furlough when they've had time or neighbors and they're seeing people come to faith and um, you know, they've used discovery Bible studies, they've used alpha as resources, but it's, it's, it's on the missional face, yeah, yeah. if that makes sense. So, and, and, you know, it's funny because even <sighs> that point of understanding can even get missed by people who have done the course. Because there's someone I know who'd been through the training and said, I thought we were going to have micro churches that we could go to. And I was like, you've you missed the point of what this is. If you want to see a micro church, go for it, start one, do something, you know, reach out. It's not, it's not like they're going to get listed on the Ivy website and you can just go to your nearest micro church. It's really missing the point of yeah. the missional principle of what this is, what they're about, equipping people to go out and to be disciples and make disciples. And it's, you know, it's one thing that we're doing. It's not, yeah, everything that we're doing but it, to equip people but help people but i hope really, that really makes great. sense yeah yeah totally totally and what, uh, off the back of that what i'm thinking um or you know reading between the lines obviously listeners will be picking up stuff about the role of leadership in the midst of all that like what are you guys you talked about the transition leadership but what what kind of words might you put to that in terms of the shift how would you now identify the role of uh your role and perhaps other roles in the midst of that structure of, of catalyzing the um, or at least catalyzing the possibility for people to to dream and to and then to be equipped you know how would you describe that what what does it look like for you i um so john uh john witt who's a good friend of ours who leads the, the dignity movement in sub-saharan africa he 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 says that Leadership is not getting people to do what God is asking you to do. Leadership is helping you, sorry, leadership is helping people discover what God is asking them to do and helping them to do it. And so much, I mean, for me, that is a that is the leadership paradigm for me, that so much of everything that we're taught in about leadership from a Western and probably a global perspective is good leaders get lots of people to do the thing that they want them to do. And basically all leadership is about how you do that. It's like vision cast from top to bottom, you know, and all of these kinds of things. And, and yet that isn't, I, I don't think actually, the more I reflect on it and think about it, it's like 
we need to start with discipleship and discipleship is learning to love and follow Jesus in the way that he asks. So if you have a responsibility for other people, then your task is helping them to love and follow Jesus in the way that he's asking them, you know? And so um, in a much more kind of uh, condensed phrase is, and the guys at Kansas City Underground talk about, use this as their kind of uh, leadership principle, which is it's not, we can do it, you can help. It's you can do it, we can help. And I guess so much of the like prevailing model is we the experienced Bible college educated, not ordinary in some magical, mysterious way, people are the ones that have the gifts and they're gonna preach and teach and everything else. And you can volunteer to be part of a team to help make that happen or whatever that looks like. Maybe I'm being a bit cynical here, but I'm kind of pressing it to make the distinction. That's the we can do it, you can help. But the inversion is that if you want to see movement and multiplication, then you're, it, and this is really hard to do this because my default is uh, uh, we can do it, you can help. It's it's like, I will do this and you can help me do this. And and and, and, and unpicking that mindset is so difficult. But really that it's then, no, 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 you can do it. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom of God there are no special people in the kingdom of God. There are no particularly gifted people in the kingdom of God. There's no particularly anointed people in the kingdom of God. I, just, I, I don't know. I just becoming more and more uncomfortable with people saying, oh, they're a very anointed person. I, mm. I don't know. It just starting to sit uneasily with me. Yeah, because sure. actually we're a priesthood of all believers. And, you know, so you have a calling and a purpose in the kingdom of God. You have a, God has got a mission for your life. You've got has created good things for you to do in advance. So my job is to help you figure out what that is, give you the, once you've worked out what that is, give you the right tools if I can, or point you to someone else who does mm. and encourage you to go and to do that. And so I think that's the big, the and that's really the where we're at as a team is that we're having to keep reminding ourselves that that's a job, that it's not about people trying to help us do the thing that God's asked us to do, but it's like, how can we help every person in our church discover what it is that God is asking them to do and help them to do it. And I think that, and allowing that mindset shift mm. to filter through everything um, for me has been a, is an absolutely fundamental mm. shift. And so, and that you have to have that uh, mentality, I think, if you're going to really have an equipping leadership team. And, and what's so interesting is that what, you know, I think we're, in a really good place as a team we you know i'd hate for you to think we've got this all figured out it feels like honestly it feels it's so early days yeah and i feel like you know we've we've taken a leap of faith but we're still in the leaping we're still in the we haven't landed on the other side yet yeah but you know even with us being aligned to those different roles it's almost of the different d's it's you know they quite they align very well to the fivefold, and effectively what we've got is a team of fivefold, and, and plus everybody else as as well. You know because it's not about those five Ds; it's about the whole wider team. But operating in that sense, that it's like okay, how can we bring the right people together and equip them for what God's asking them to do, and you know, as, as my area, I'm responsible for, for the people that are going to be doing those kinds of things. That's really, really interesting, Tim. I think, uh, I mean, it's like de definitely early days, but I mean, we, we know that our inherited story of church quite easily can, can like be, a, you know, sometimes a temptation when we're tired and when things are struggling to default back to solo hero. <laughs> uh, I'll do it. I'll stand up at the front. I'll teach this, uh, you know, you know, and, and I think we are that generation that's sitting in the gap of transitioning to potentially a whole different paradigm. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is quite a, it's, it's an enormous shift uh, to release the priesthood of all believers. Um so I think like we've got perhaps time for like one or two more questions because I really wanted to get to this one. Um, for where you are right now, what what stories and perhaps metaphors or parables or moments in scripture, encounters in scripture um, have been relevant to you in this season and in this this transition? 
uh, what God's been saying, what's what's been revealed through some of those. Yeah. Um, So for me personally, um, I think the metaphor of childbirth has been incredibly helpful. I think partly because having had a baby a year ago, that journey is very um is very real in my mind and heart you know so and my my honestly i think the biggest danger in all of this for me personally is my impatience because i think i know everything i mean i i mean i definitely do have all the answers and i know exactly how it should look and they do it over there like that so that's the right way of doing it so if we're not doing it like that or if it doesn't end up look like it's going that way then put the brakes on you know I, yeah i am my own worst enemy <laughs> and so i think you know as i've been wrestling with my own impatience around wanting to see fruit um the image that i've come back to again and again for me personally but actually i think it's it really resonates with the journey we're on as a church is that of um of a pregnancy and that that as I was, I was praying about it one morning and I, and I was thinking about reflecting on this image and I felt honestly felt the Lord say to me, it would not be good to be born early. And actually, you know, a premature baby, the chances of, depending on how premature that baby is, if it's very early, the survival chances can be very low or you have to expend a huge amount of resource to be able to for that child to survive. And, you know, it's amazing. We live in a country where we have, you know, those kinds of resources. And I think that if we rush, if we rush the journey of transition and we haven't allowed the convictions of the why and the how to deeply form in us, then you, it won't survive the robust challenges of life and multi, you know, and, and everything that comes along. Or you have to expend a huge amount of energy trying to keep it going because it just wasn't ready. And it's almost, I feel like that for us at Ivy. I feel like we're in that process of expectancy. We can see the form of, we can see there's a form of something coming, but we don't know if it's going to have daddy's eyes or mummy's ears. Do you know what I mean? We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But when the time comes for that child to be born, you know about it, you know, you know, because there's no stopping it. Like, and it's the same way with the things of the spirit. You know, we know that in in our own lives that when God's doing something new in us, we know that something's different inside. We can't explain it necessarily. We don't know exactly how it's all going to look. But then at the time, when the time comes and the spirit's ready to bring that new life to bear, there's no stopping it. You know, the spirit will do what he wants to do. And I think that for me, has given me the peace to just allow things to unfold with curiosity and prayer and patience because I can see the form. It's like, you know, we're experimenting with microchurches. We're equipping people to be disciples and make disciples. And there's loads of great stories. There's exciting things that are happening, but it's still just, it's still just a sign of what's to come. It's not, it's almost like, but it's not the thing that is to come yet. Because it, it feels it's still very fragile and it's embryonic, and that's okay because that's the way of things in the kingdom, and in in the natural world, right? And so, I, ha- I mean, I, as I'm even saying this, I'm speaking to myself because I have to come back to this weekly, because there were some days where I think, oh, this is too hard, and someone will say something like, and I'm like, no, that's the old way of doing things, no, and then I'm like. You know, because I just, I'm a good leader, I'm consistent, and I uh, don't, you know, lose heart easily. So, you know, unlike, you know, I'm sure all of your, everyone listening to this is like, you know, what a loser. Like, he just so fragile. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> just like, I'm sure, I'm sure you know. many people are resonating with, with what you're saying. Um, uh, definitely sure of that. Now, listen, like, last question uh, before yeah. we better pull this together and uh, bid ourselves farewell um we're at i mean we, we say this often on the podcast it's, it just feels and and we're not the only ones who are saying this that we're at a critical moment a critical yep. juncture 
culturally, missionally, um, in in history, um, and we kind of need to to keep being faithful and to keep dreaming and to keep imagining uh, a vision of the kingdom that's big enough uh, to shift the tracks of history. Um, we've got to keep shooting for that. Um, and then loads of people will be like on the frontiers of mission listening to this. Uh, they'll be testing stuff out, pioneering. Uh, maybe they, they'll be, it'll just be a dream at the moment. Um, yep. uh, some of them will be way on the journey. Uh, but what would you? What can you say just to bring some hope, some encouragement to yeah. anybody who's who's open, anybody who's like in this space of exploring and curiosity, but also feeling perhaps the, the, the tension of the moment. I think for me, uh, and hopefully this encourage you. The thing that I found so helpful is having a really long term view, and the story um, that I've been reflecting on. Um, is the story of Abraham. And you think that he was called to leave what was familiar and comfortable and to go into something that's unknown. He was given a promise that he would see, he would see incredible multiplication, right? Because the just, you know, his children would outnumber the stars. And the reason we're all here having this conversation is because we believe God's given us that promise too, that he, we want to see. We believe God has spoken to us and given us a dream for seeing a multiplication of disciples that outnumbers the stars. You know, that's why, this is why we're here having this conversation, isn't it? But what's so interesting is that Abraham didn't see it. He, he, he received the first fruit of that promise. He received one, well, two sons, but one son, Isaac, you know. And I find that so interesting that he, he only just began to see that promise fulfilled. And actually scripture tells us in Galatians that the giving of the spirit is the fulfillment to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him. So let's just think about the time elapsed between Moses, God appearing to Moses and saying, leave your country and go to the place that I will show you to the day of Pentecost and which started being filled at the day of Pentecost and is still being fulfilled every minute and every hour around this globe right now. That gives me hope because it's like we're seeing, even as we step forward in faith, we never see the fullness of everything. But I think it's, you know, we talk about this, you know, we need to read the scripture in a community because the scripture is not written to individuals, it's written to groups of people. And especially like the New Testament is written to churches, groups of people, plural. And so it's, we have to understand that these promises are given to us in community, not just us as individuals. And the things that God has spoken to you, Mark, and to you know to those of you listening, He's giving them as a promise not just to you, but to the church in Europe and to the church in the West, the church in the world. But He's also giving it to us, the generations of followers that will come. And so we will play a significant part, yes, but a small part in the full story of His plan to redeem the whole earth, and that gives me peace to know that it doesn't all have to happen next weekend. I can trust that in the course of time, as I'm faithful in doing the thing that I know God has asked me to do, I will in eternity see the fullness of that promise worked out because actually it's so much bigger than my little life. And I don't know, I find that helpful in terms of coming to a place of contentment and peace, knowing that you know, in, even in the stories of Abraham, there are huge time gaps between these encounters with God and things happening and lots of time of probably him wondering when is this ever going to happen and yet God is faithful and he fulfills, he keeps all of his promises and so that gives me courage to keep going and knowing that I play a part, a significant part, but a small part in God's much bigger, wider plans. And so I think, you know, in this time of transition, Mark, that we may the, we will. We may simply do the very hard work of coming to a place of clarity around the new paradigms that are needed, and it may be that that is what we need to do for the other generation to the next generation after us to step from that platform. Or we may see more than that, and I pray that we do. But God knows, <laughs> and so I can come to a place of peace around that. But we play a part, and we hand something on to those that come after, and then those that come after. That's just great. 
Thank you so much, Tim. I've just, this has been such a great conversation and uh, thanks for sharing um, some of the perspectives that you're having from where you're sitting in, in Manchester in the church in Ivy and uh, we pray a blessing over, over you all. Um, and thanks for the generosity of just sharing some wisdom and some of the things that you've picked up uh, in the process. Uh, we know that it's not the end result just yet. Uh, which is the whole purpose for this this conversation, really. It's just to speak to people who are on the road, on the journey, um, and uh, staying on the wall like Nehemiah, uh, <laughs> even if we're tempted sometimes to to to, to come off it. Um, so, so thank you for that. Uh, God bless you, and um, look forward to meeting you again at some point. Thanks, Mark. It's been a privilege. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, thank you, Mark, for taking us on that journey with Tim. You're welcome. Uh, how was that for you? I mean, a bit of context as well. He's based in Manchester. You've been in Manchester, planted yeah. a church there. Yeah. Uh, what, how was it to speak with him? Did you get kind of the context he was coming from? Well, I think it's important like, for us that one of the reasons we, we got in touch, Tim's part of a, a peer coaching group that I'm in, mm-hmm. so I've got to know him through that. And just hearing some of his comments, uh, I, I kind of understood that our church in Helsingborg and their church in, in Manchester have been trying to take similar journeys, mm. obviously influenced by everything that's happened in the last two years with COVID and yeah. what that's done to the church and the questions that it's like thrown up. So that's why we got him on the show, but also a European perspective, because like a lot of the people we've got around these kind of conversations have come from a US perspective, and yeah. the, you know, some obviously there's some commonalities there, but there are also some u- really unique challenges in our European context, mm. um, and we are trying to transition into a more, he uses the word more movemental kind of form of church, and we are taking a similar journey, but it's it's been challenging. Yeah. Um, so so that that was the thing it was really like good to hear someone share the vulnerability mm. you know we don't just want to hear the success stories mm. you know we we take I take comfort from hearing that actually this is not straightforward that you need patience yeah. you need to have a long view of of this uh and you know what's winning and losing um you know sometimes we think it's in a year we need to nail this or in 3 years what we're talking about is such a paradigm shifting way of doing church so I I took some solace in in just hearing him yeah I think that's a really good point as well just acknowledging I think Phil Ball on our previous episode um, acknowledged the point as well kind of like he he was talking about if if you think about our missional context from a biblical perspective um, how actually we think we're often beginning at acts in this kind of like land which is open to spirituality and um, religion and things and that's perhaps more of an American culture um, but in Europe, it's very, very different. And he was talking about actually your missional context is reflecting more of that as strangers in a foreign land. Yeah, uh, very, very much in the minority. Yeah, um, and Tim talks about that as well. Yeah, um, I mean, what just quickly from our journey in Helsingborg. Yeah, what a bit. What's been the emotional kind of ride for you, like in decentralising our church and? Yeah, well, I mean. Um, the conversations uh, to move to kind of like and, and I'll use the term micro church we're not really settled on a term or a, or a yeah, terminology of what we're going to use yet but we, we started conversations about it actually before the pandemic yeah when the pandemic hit it actually acted as a, quite a good opportunity for us to kind of trial these things that we'd already been talking about without causing too much pain within the community of like we need to split up we need to follow restrictions and it, we thought this is a good chance to kind of normalise this way of meeting. Mm. Uh, and it and it was. Uh, our church are very, very used to it now. But um, I'm, I'm really identifying with some of the stuff Tim was talking about mm. in terms of if you just take your big community and split it up, then the DNA of the mission and that culture, that um, it, it doesn't begin there. That's not your starting point. Um, and, and when he's referring to the five Ds, which I thought were really helpful, the first one is discover. Yeah. Um, and if, you, if, if the DNA of the small group or the micro church isn't that, because they're so used to being part of a wider gathering. What then do you mean? Isn't what? It, uh, if, if the DNA 
doesn't begin with kind of like the mission, the discover. Yeah, the mission, yeah. Th- then it falls at, it fails at stage one. Yeah. Um, and then you, what you're basically doing is creating numerous smaller communities that are just replacing one larger community. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's missing perhaps the mission or the, or the drive. And I was, I was identifying with that. Yeah. We, we do have some, um, yeah, micro churches with re- mission right at the heart um, and others where it's, uh, yeah, and we've we're also str- had- We're struggling, aren't we? There's some groups where... <coughs> Yeah, it's the community is central. Um, yeah. Perhaps worship is central, but we're struggling to kind of, yeah. you know, central. Yeah, you know, have that organising principle that like we talked about in the podcast. Yeah. being mission and how do you do that in something that's already running? Yeah, and also how do you have missional micro churches or missional communities um, that are missional that don't kind of have a high level of stress to produce or to always go? I mean, how do you incorporate a healing culture? or a culture of rest and Sabbath within your group in these highly missional small groups. It's a teacher-shepherd, Chris, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's really important, isn't it? Like Missional teacher-shepherds, we, we need to hear that perspective as well because it's not been an easy ride no. for people. Um, you know, And sometimes j- just purely apostolic, you, you see the project, the programme, the potential. Yeah. But the reality is... Not everyone gets the paradigm. Not everyone gets, it. and and we're feeling that dissonance yeah. or that, that 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 tension. Yeah, I also think as well it's really important what you were saying um, about their church that they haven't kind of like taken their big group, stopped the big gatherings, and split it into small groups and and done that. But what they've done because it's so easy for us who have grown up in a church world to focus on the big. So like we take this big group and then we make it into smaller groups, and and you're still starting at the big. But what what he was talking about was starting actually in the micro. The Jesus model, which is identifying, okay, we're not going to take away these things because it's part of people's DNA and that it will never be very highly missional groups. However, if we find highly missional people and say to them, go and start your micro community, it's such a different uh, shift in uh, the dynamic uh, that, that, yeah, where, where you begin. If you start with the micro instead of always thinking, what do we do with our existing yeah, yeah. I wish I'd asked that question now, like you're talking about it, because I think like for people listening as well, we're talking about something that maybe a lot of people aren't thinking about, mm. you know, breaking up their community or yeah. or even giving the potential to start new like micro church, like they're doing an Ivy church. Yeah. Um, and that is, it comes to that big question, okay, what are we talking about? And why, why would we do that? Mm. And where do you start? Could that would be a really helpful podcast or yeah you know well how do you get going yeah i would say that i was just going to say that obviously there are resources out there you can find them but mm. I, I do think that's for a lot of people that's still the why why would people do that yeah and i, I really think that this is we're going to need a part two because i think we've covered like um the store some of the storytelling through T- tim's sharing and um some of the experience and some of the theology around it, but it'd be really good to like nail down some like strategy, like what are, what are our steps and and one um, resource um, that you can go to if you really want to kind of um, jump into it deeper right now. Um, we, we've had um, a couple of guests on the show before telling the story about um, their experience as um, a missional community as a, a group of doulas. Yeah. <laughs> so women who are present at uh, childbirth and supporting mothers who are often um, experiencing childbirth alone Uh, but they're part of a wider network called the Tampa Underground so we had Vanessa Power and Jessica Becton Stevens on um, sharing their experience of a micro church community that's highly missional and through the Tampa Underground um, there's tons of resources and short videos um, on how to get started blocks things that are temptations that you should avoid and all those things so if you want to get started or just really want to dive a bit deeper in now yeah then uh, just google tamper underground and uh, look through their stuff it's been really helpful in us kind of shaping some of the stuff we're doing yeah yeah and, uh, and of course you know it's not about a new thing <laughs> it's really about i think plunging back beyond our own traditions to the early church and i know you don't need to take everything that was going on in the early church that would be irresponsible mm. Uh, but to do the thinking about what was it that was really catalyzing movement mm. in a in in a time where there were so many disincentives, like connecting to your comment about um, being in a foreign land, yeah. you know what what kind of expression of God's people or church is going to be relevant in terms of uh, connecting with needs of the of the world. Yeah, um, I think that's good. Um, yeah, I feel that there's some good questions there. 
yeah. I would say like maybe like talking about the connection part that we talked about that we at the beginning we weren't sure how whether we're connecting with people mm. maybe we can post on the Facebook page wh- wh- where how and why would you start a micro church or something like that around yeah. that yeah and, and if you are if you're exploring this kind of stuff in your context we really want to learn from you mm. um, and we need that encouragement uh, and I'm sure loads of other people would so we'll post that question on the Facebook page and do do don't let it go blank with no comments. So, yeah. so be generous. Yeah. Be like trying to high five someone and being blanked. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, are we, are we going to put any questions out there or should we keep it all social media based this time? See, uh, see what happens. Yeah. Well, hopefully people are familiar with our questions. What did it mean for you? What was exciting, challenging, yeah. uncomfortable? Uh, what does it mean for you in your ones-on-ones teams? Is there something to learn here? What's the next step? Uh, and maybe I'm speaking too fast but you can slow me down. <laughs> Play us on the 0.5 speed. Yeah. Um, we're watching the clock tick down. That's why we're speaking super duper fast, like Ace Ventura. <laughs> um, all right. Let's bring it to a close. Yeah. Um, we'll uh, speak to you again uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, in the meantime, be blessed. Pray that this uh, podcast will not just be interesting, but something that will be challenging and inspiring, uh, that it will impact uh, thoughts and minds and hearts and actions and communities and transform the way that our world looks, mm. which is a big prayer. Go bless the world. Yeah. See you next time. <laughs>